this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i am your host g sampad the russia ukraine conflict has begun to have a major impact on the world energy markets ever since the conflict started and especially after the announcement of sanctions on russia crude prices have been steadily climbing they have risen most sharply in europe which is heavily dependent on russian natural gas now the us president joe biden's decision to ban russian oil is further set to royal energy markets since oil and natural gas are key inputs for almost every industry in every form of world trade there are fears of worldwide inflation india which relies on imports for the bulk of its energy needs is especially vulnerable to changes in global crude prices So what does the war and the sanctions mean for fuel prices and edible oil prices in India and what steps can India take to insulate itself from price shocks we explored these issues with Talmiz Ahmed a former diplomat with the Indian Foreign Service Talmiz Ahmed holds the Ram Sathi chair in international studies at Symbiosis International University Pune his latest book is West Asia at War Repression Resistance and Great Power Games Mr Ahmed thank you so much for joining us thank you very much mr sampat mr ahmed just to start with a very simple question here the russia ukraine conflict has has really destabilized energy markets worldwide and these markets are basically controlled by a relatively small number of players or countries as we as we know so how do you think the major oil producers are going to react to this will they just sit back and rake it in as their profits grow or are they going to be uh, listening to some kind of pressures or push back from other countries thank you for your question it has many ramifications we must straight away recognize that the war in ukraine is part of a much wider and larger game plan it is a struggle to retain the world order which has been shaped by and led by the united states as a sort of western alliance 30 years after the cold war was over this west led confrontation of russia has remained in place i have a feeling that the the americans felt that this was the appropriate moment and ukraine was the appropriate issue on which they would take russia on now this is of course many ramifications and 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 obviously energy is a very important part of it Russia is a very major energy producer and energy exporter and indeed it is a very substantial presence globally but very importantly for for Europe and for China and many other countries India for instance USA is an importer of Russian oil and gas as is India but the most important region that is nearly that is very substantially dependent on Russian supplies is the european union and countries like germany italy and um, in fact many other about 15 european countries are crucially dependent on on uh, russian supplies now but you must recall that even before ukraine that the global oil markets had been quite turbulent there had been the pandemic earlier oil prices had crashed then they started emerging and the pandemic had had at one stage actually closed down shut down global economic activity and then it started reemerging as the as the concerns relating to the omicron 
started emitting from people's minds. And therefore, suddenly, there was a huge demand for oil and for gas. And the markets were not ready for that. And therefore, the prices had started rising well before the Ukraine scenario. Therefore, Ukraine has fed into the pre-existing turbulence. Now we have a situation where prices have crossed very quickly. They crossed $100 and then they have crossed and they have actually reached $139 for a few moments and have come back and they are now hovering between $120 and $125. So yes, there is very acute turbulence. And the whole scenario has been further complicated by the Americans in their total economic war on Russia, and that is to ban the export of Russian oil. The Europeans have said, uh, have immediately intervened and said that this is not going to apply to them and that they are not interested in this kind of sanctions on the Russians as far as energy is concerned. They are crucially dependent on Russia and there is no way they can replace it as of now. So I think that this is a lot of, there's a market is very, the global energy market, which is a single integrated market, it is turbulent and the Americans are not helping. The Americans want more supplies in the global market, but they don't know where they should, what they should do and where they should turn. So we are looking at a lot of aggressive conduct from the American side, not entirely acceptable to the Europeans and causing a lot of confusion in different parts of the world. And I would therefore suggest that this kind of aggressiveness that we are seeing from Washington has a lot of domestic value to it. I'm not sure I did mention to you that it is linked with reshaping or rather maintaining the status quo in the world order. But there are immediate domestic concerns as well. Do remember the fiasco that had accompanied the US withdrawal from Afghanistan just a few months ago. And we also know that as Mr. Biden is looking at the elections in November, his own personal stock in the country is at a record low. And therefore, I think one factor that motivated the United States administration was to show authority and to show power. And of course, Russia is a very easy target because there is a lot of opinion particularly from the right wing and especially in the Republican Party that is actively hostile to the Russians. And therefore, there could be domestic ramifications at play over here beyond the international that, that we are, that, that are obviously apparent to us already. Right. You've touched upon quite a few very, very interesting aspects, uh, Mr. Ahmed. Thank you so much for this beautiful summary. You spoke about the anxiety to preserve the existing world order and you also spoke about Washington's need driven by some domestic compulsions and also the fact that there, is, there are elections coming up in November. But I was just wondering, before we, we, we probably won't have time to go into too much detail, but on the domestic aspect of Mr. Biden and his politics there, some people are saying that some analysts, in fact, have pointed out that rather than boost his chances, it could probably backfire because with the ban on Russian oil, uh, there could be inflation in the US as well, uh, which could then uh, you know, be used by the Republicans and the opposition against him. So is this in a way a miscalculation, do you think, in terms of the domestic aspect? Very difficult to say. Russia has been successive US administrations have been very sensitive about the cost of gas at the pump, as they call it. They are now, they, the severe winter is really behind them. 
but at the same time the americans hate massive increases in prices and i think prices have already gone up by 90 cent per gallon so yes there is this concern but i think the larger concern and where the president seems to be scoring as of now is to look tough in front of putin look tough in front of russia so i think a temporary sacrifice accompanied by massive there is a massive information war accompanying this entire scenario and if you see the coverage in the united states and we are looking at the same aspect of it there's a huge insane aspect also and you will see extraordinary jingoism extraordinary falsehood and fake news and a kind of toughness a kind of macho-ness that we are going to show them once again what a great people we are there is a feeling that if you sustain pressure on russia and if you keep on hurting the russians continuously at some stage the russians might get rid of the president the americans have this delusion about regime change they they carry out regime change very wherever it suits them and they use military force for that and they have done it in afghanistan in iraq as well as in libya but those are those are very they are relatively easy target compared to iran they've been trying iran for example regime change in iran for like 40 years and increasingly crippling sanctions and they haven't succeeded but that is on their agenda and now they have placed regime change in moscow on their agenda as well nobody can accuse the americans of deep thinking of strategic vision and of planning on long term basis nobody can accuse them of that the short term the immediate advantage being able to sell more weaponry scoring a few brownie points here and there that is us policy as i have analyzed it over several years uh, mr ahmed you spoke a little bit earlier about uh, the us's intent and efforts to increase the supply of oil into the world market and uh, we did uh, see reports that they they were trying to get in touch with with the top princes and crown princes in the, in the uae and saudi arabia but they were not taking their calls apparently now they have been trying to talk to the venezuela which is another country they have put under sanctions for a long time so how do you view these developments uh, in terms of trying to increase the global supply of oil which is sort of being piloted by the us this fits in with the assertion i just made that there is no clarity of thought and no long term vision supporting such important issues a kind of knee jerk reaction go to the if you want more oil in the market go to the i mean then they think of going to the gulf pick up the phone talk to the guy and he will open the tap it's not happening us credibility today 4 years after donald trump and 1 year and odd of joe biden us credibility is at is at an extraordinary low no partner no friend today totally trust the americans to deliver it's a long record and if you ask anybody from the uae to saudi arabia and he has got a list of grievances that you didn't support us when we needed you and now we don't need you you if you look at the regional scenario there is a very significant diplomatic churn the countries of west asia are now engaging with each other entirely on their own these diplomatic initiatives are neither motivated by or directed by or driven by the united states what an extraordinary sea change in the region now joe biden apparently has been trying to speak to the rulers 
of UAE and Saudi Arabia to tell them to produce more. Now, OPEC Plus has from 2016 a game plan in place that the OPEC members, along with Russia and a few other countries, are now managing the flow of production as per in order to keep the market stable and ensure reasonable prices for their product. There is a game plan. It's in place. They have decided that as demand has increased as a result of the easing of the pandemic, they will start increasing production. But this increase in production will be in a, a graduated about 400,000 barrels per day over a period of time and then some more as the market requires. What he wants, what Joe Biden wants is to flood the market so that the prices crash. Why should they do that? I can't see any reason for them. There is no political rationale and there is no economic rationale. Look at how he has treated these countries. When he was campaigning, he said Saudi Arabia is a pariah state and that he would ensure it was excluded from the Committee of Nations. After becoming president, he announced publicly, I will not talk to the crown prince. And therefore, he has not spoken to the crown prince of uh, Saudi Arabia. Where the UAE is concerned, they said, please produce more. And the UAE wants to know why. You are not treated. They, uh, and of course, then they are using coercion. They have placed the UAE on the grey list of the FATF. Deliberately done so in order to remind the Emiratis that we can hurt you. You depend on investments and that is where we will hurt you. But the Emiratis have not yet blinked. And as far as Saudi Arabia is concerned, they have in the period when the Americans became hostile to them, they built up very substantial ties with Russia and China. They don't want to jeopardize those ties. The principal countries of the Gulf are today equidistant as far as United States on the one hand and Russia and China on the other are concerned. And they don't see any reason why at this point they should be accommodating the Americans when the Americans have been so churlish for so long as far as they are concerned. The second point, why should the Gulf countries undermine an arrangement that they have made on long-term basis with the Russians? I mean, the sanctions against Russia have been initiated by the Americans. Why? The Europeans don't accept them because their crucial interests are involved. Why should the Gulf countries come to the assistance of the Americans and rush to produce more? There is no rationale that I can think of. They have an important energy-based relationship as far as the Russians are concerned. They have a very substantial logistical, economic, energy-based and strategic partnership with the Chinese. Why should they jeopardize these relationships? Because of the spontaneous acts of the Russian president, of the American presidency, largely for domestic consumption, because he is facing an election at a point when he is personally very low. So it's not happening. As of now, it is not happening. What the Americans are likely to do is to use coercive measures. Like just as they have put UAE on the gray list, they are likely to introduce coercive measures for the others as well. We will watch this situation. My own feeling is that that US-led world order, where the Americans could go to war at will, could undermine regimes, could undermine states, and destroy entire lives of people in the hundreds of thousands, I think those days are today 
gone and they are being questioned that you will not have a world order where you can be so destructive and so completely mindless in terms of pursuing policy. Right. Mr. Ahmed, uh, coming back to the question of filling the void and short shortages in energy supplies, if we look at Europe, uh, we know that the Nord Stream 2 project is now more or less shut down for the time being and they are under pressure in case Russia decides to you know, shut the tap under increasing pressure from the US and the West in general. So is there a realistic chance of the US stepping in to fill the void in energy supplies if uh, in terms of replacing Russian uh, natural gas with their own supplies, they have shale and so on. Is that a likely thing they're playing for? Because uh, they, they, they do have the capacity to do so. We don't know how expensive or cheap it will be. But is that a possibility? As you know, just like in the case of oil, also in the case of natural gas, there is one single integrated market. And the prices that prevail in different markets are very similar to each other. Now, in the case of Europe, gas prices have been high well before Ukraine, largely because they are because of their dependence on Russia, which has now reached 41% and the declining production from other sources. So Europe has had very high prices. If the Americans have been selling more natural gas to European ports, it is largely because of the high prices. The Americans are want to take advantage of this bonanza which has, which has emerged. But selling of gas abroad, shale gas abroad, has been a, always a very, a very controversial matter as far as the US administration and the US political establishment are concerned. As you know, there are record inflationary trends in the United States and both the House and the Senate are very agitated about gas exports. They want a significant reduction in gas exports to Europe and a far greater catering to the domestic market. They feel that if this gas is retained at home, it is much cheaper to produce. It is this prices at home will be far lower than in the global market. And hence, that would be good for the US economy. Therefore, the companies are under pressure. Having said this, let us look at the facts. There is no way... The Americans have got so much gas that they can meet the entire needs of the European Union. Secondly, do recall, large parts of Europe are used to getting piped gas and not LNG. For example, Germany does not have any terminal for, uh, for the supply of, uh, of LNG. So they, use, they, they are used to pipelines. These pipelines had started from the 1970s in the teeth of U.S. opposition, at the peak of the Cold War. But when you need energy, and there is a major energy supplier nearby, you are not going to say no. At that time, please recall, the Americans had introduced sanctions on the Europeans, saying that we will not allow American financing, American technology, American engineering, and American companies to participate in your projects. This turned out to be a bonanza, a good thing, because the Europeans and the Russians then developed their own technology. And by the time the Cold War ended, the Europeans depended on Russian gas to the extent of 50%. It is now about 40%. It is not something you can change overnight. And hence, despite the conflict in the Ukrainian scenario, you do not find a single European country 
saying they are going to introduce sanctions on the Russian energy supplies. Even the British have said they will do it in a phased manner till the end of the year. We will see. I am very skeptical about that. But then UK is not a major supplier. The, the Americans are putting pressure on Qatar, saying you supply more. But Qatar's production has already peaked. So what the Americans are doing is go to the Japanese who have imported Qatari gas and telling them you supply to the Europeans. Now these kind of ad hoc measures, they have no long term value and they cannot meet the emergent market requirements all across Europe. I don't think it is to be done. And I think the as far as Germany is concerned, their chancellor has stated publicly there is no way we can replace Russian supplies. Right. Moving on from Europe closer home, what steps do you think India needs to take to soften the impact of likely price shocks on the Indian population? I want to remind you, Indian, I mean, energy is a global phenomenon. Energy pricing is done within an integrated market. And sometimes the prices are high, sometimes the prices are low. There were people in India who misunderstood a statement by the Saudi energy minister when he said that when prices are low, keep large stocks with you. Because when prices go up, you will start complaining. So the prices are volatile. Energy prices, but both of oil and gas, respond very quickly and immediately to, to political situations, conflict scenarios, civil conflict, you know, war. All of these have kept, and of course, sanctions, I should mention. For example, the Iranian energy supplies have been artificially blocked, as in the case of Venezuela, artificially blocked. Libya, because of civil conflict. As far as Iraq is concerned, civil conflict for so long, as well as the assault upon Iraq earlier. So all of these are very these are very conflict sensitive. They are very politically, very in a volatile scenario. I am not sure there is any way India can be, uh, quote unquote, protected. India, the prices have gone up and we will have to gear ourselves for that. It's not something we haven't experienced before. We faced crises in 1970 and at that time prices had called rupled and they had gone from $2 up to $10 per barrel. Then again, when you had the Iraqi occupation of Kuwait, you had, in fact, supplies to us had stopped. Because in those days, we used to get from Iraq and Kuwait. And then we started diversifying and the Saudis entered. Since 1990, I have observed that while West Asia remains politically very turbulent, supplies to India have never been disrupted. But what has happened is prices. Now, if, is there a silver lining somewhere here? Yes. The silver lining is that as prices go up, these, uh, these economies of the Gulf get boosted, they start, they become extremely active, they start uh, recruiting a lot of people and they have new initiatives. Do recall, in economic terms, the Gulf countries are, uh, are deeply integrated with India. We have eight and a half million people who send back to India every year $40 billion. This is about a third of our oil bill is met from remittances of our people. And this leaves out all the enterprises of Indians. We always look at, and this is a mistake, we look at the, I mean, we have been looking at the work of the Indian corporate sector, which goes from India. 
we completely forget that we have a resident Indian community that is extremely active in the Gulf situation and takes advantage of economic opportunities as they, as they emerge. And they are very deeply linked with India as well. I am told by our embassy in Abu Dhabi that Indian investments in the UAE, not UAE investments in India, Indian investments in the UAE are $85 billion. In every Gulf countries, hundreds of and sometimes a few thousand small and medium Indian enterprises are functioning, employing several thousand people. So if there is a silver lining, I would say that it is here. We therefore need to be very deeply engaged with West Asia, particularly the Gulf countries. We have opportunities that we could have done, we could have done far better. We remain transactional and bilateral in terms of our relationships. We have ignored the logistical connectivity project as far as Iran is concerned. So I would say if you ask me to prioritize, have a very substantial relationship with the Iranians, rebuild ties with the Russians that we have neglected to some extent, get very deeply involved with the politics and economics of the Gulf and focus on joint ventures, political cooperation and economic cooperation with the Gulf countries, both sides. And that is where we will gain. So we can't change prices, but we can take advantage of certain opportunities that might emerge. Right. Mr. Ahmed, you, you, you made a very good point about you know, building relations with Iran and Russia, etc., which have been neglected. Now, in this context, there is one question which comes up and India has enjoyed quite a few years in the recent past of low energy or for low oil prices, low crude prices. Do you think we missed that opportunity to sort of take advantage of this phase of low oil prices to sort of strengthen, strengthen our own energy security by building, say, relations with Iran is one way of doing it. Uh, the other being to develop our own oil resources and build energy security. Are there a few tricks that we missed in terms of strengthening energy security during this period of low prices? The low prices have nothing to do with energy security. Prices come and go. Prices are volatile. They respond to political situations with which over which we have no control. But as far as supplies are concerned, we, it has been a reasonably satisfactory situation. India is a very detached country. In terms of our strategic interest, we tend to deal with countries as if they are, our relationship is transactional and bilateral. We don't seem to take a perspective that is regional in character. Look at West Asia. West Asia is a country, is a region where we have very substantial long-term abiding interests. We have energy interest, 80% of our imported oil, 50% of our imported gas comes from the region. We have investment and trade relationships. We have logistical connectivity projects that we haven't, we haven't pursued. And we have eight and a half million people. I would have imagined that these kind of stakes would have encouraged successive governments in Delhi to be actively involved in the security and strategic scenario of the region. You can't pursue transactional relationships anymore. You need to be involved, quote-unquote, strategically. We use the word strategic partnership very loosely without looking at the value. And we then sit back and are uncomfortable when various other countries have intervened in the region and have taken advantage of opportunities and have become significant players in the region. May I mention to you, the various logistical connectivity projects through Iran, 
one to go to afghanistan second to go to central asia and the third to link us with the, with the, in moscow through the international north south transit corridor these were conceived nearly 20 years ago iran offered these projects to us in 2003 10 years before president xi jinping talked about belt and road initiative when we didn't do a single one of those projects i would say to you if we had pursued those projects we would have had extraordinary north south connectivity and the chinese would have sought cooperation with us in so far as their east west connectivity projects were concerned because we didn't do any of those projects what has happened is today we are feeling insecure and vulnerable when the chinese are speeding off with all their connectivity projects and we are not in the picture this is i would say very frankly completely the fault lies with us rather than anybody else so i would say where energy security is concerned it is an integral part of a much larger picture much larger political economic and logistical picture and if you ask me we could have done better given the extraordinary goodwill india enjoys in the region the very high respect that india enjoys the very the kind of relationship we have had for 5000 years with these people uninterrupted and substantial relationship the respect that india enjoys because we do not we are not seen as hegemonic intrusive or prescriptive so this kind of very high level of cultural and political comfort and i was completely confident that mr narendra modi's overtures to the region would translate into a genuine strategic intervention in the politics and economics of the region but to my disappointment i continue to see that we remain transactional and bilateral and i am concerned and i'm going to flag this point very robustly i am concerned that as we focus on issues pertaining to our domestic scenario other countries in the region china russia turkey iran will start building up their presence cooperatively in their region which is of crucial strategic importance to us they are already reaching out to pakistan afghanistan china and russia are very close to iran both of them are very close to turkey as well and of course they are already they have they have embraced central asia i would say to you very frankly that that we should start thinking in terms of groupings that rather than worry about what is happening in one place or the other and rush into the american embrace into the quad that takes us across the malacca strait into the south china sea where the crucial area of importance to india is the gulf and the arabian sea this is where we should be working in groupings and this is i would focus attention here on brics on shanghai cooperation organization and on the indian ocean rim association so these are the entities with which we must involve china increasingly make it a partner in these regional connectivity projects and we i can assure you china will be much more responsive and active almost all the literature that talks about china's uh, future interest emphasizes the point that its crucial strategic and security related priorities are in south china sea and east china sea as far as the indian ocean is concerned its priorities are the security for its energy supplies the security of its own people and the security of its projects these are matters which are 
actually an integral part of the Indian agenda. I don't see that as a dispute between us. I think here is where we can work together. Bring in a few other like-minded countries and you would have a very peaceful and tranquil Arabian Sea and Indian Ocean. And the countries of the Gulf looking for important partners would then turn to us. Right. Uh, very important points, uh, Mr. Ahmed. Definitely, I think uh, India has missed a trick or two in terms of uh, approaching the West Asia region. And uh, our obsession with bilateralism and kind of a transactional approach hasn't really paid the kind of dividends uh, that would have ensured if we had taken a more strategic approach. We are running out of time, so I'll have to wind up here. Thank you so much, Mr. Ahmad, once again for sharing your insights. There are quite a few interesting points that we got to discuss and hopefully we'll come back and revisit these issues in a few weeks or months from now as, as these events develop. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Mr. Sampath. I wish you all the best. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.